Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Welcome back to the PBL Playbook, everyone. We are so excited to be back with all of you. So excited. Josh and I have been busy conducting interviews for our mini-series on assessment in PBL. Andrea, I know this, but I'm beyond excited about our next few episodes because assessment is definitely something I love to talk about. I've been working on reforming my assessment practices for the past several years, and I really just love diving into the research and talking about strategies for making assessment meaningful. Yeah, I definitely know that. But seriously, I'm excited that we get to dive into assessment because it's definitely one of the need-to-knows we always get at PBL Jumpstart Workshops. I'm really hoping that our next few interviews answer some of the questions that many PBL educators are asking about assessment. I think we have reached out to some great people and have some wonderful conversations that are sure to help rookie and veteran PBL facilitators alike. Andrea, can you tell our listeners a little bit about our first interview? You bet. Our first interview is with Megan Marie Dennis, who's a PBL facilitator at Magnify Learning, and we dive into just some general assessment practices within PBL. All right, I can't wait anymore. Let's listen. We are here with Megan Marie Dennis, who is a PBL facilitator. Megan, can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Hi, um, I'm Megan Marie, and uh, I started training with PBL in about uh, 2009, and um, I went through the training for two years and then taught PBL in my classroom for about seven years. Um, I was a sixth-grade science and social studies teacher, so um, kind of one of the first people to bring it into my school system and show other people how awesome it was. Well, thanks for being with us today. Um, We're going to dive right in. One of the biggest questions that we have in our our in-person training sessions um, is about assessment and how do we assess kids in PBL. How would you go about answering this question and how maybe does that look different than assessment in a traditional classroom? Um, I think one of the biggest things is just letting people know that a lot of the assessments that they already have, they can use throughout their project. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel for everything. Um, And I think that was one of the things that I had to learn early on. I thought that I had to reinvent everything because it was a PBL. Um, So one of the main differences is instead of just kind of throwing the project at the end of an, at the end of a section or at the end of a unit, Um, The students know at the beginning what the project is going to be, and that drives their learning the whole time. Um, So we go over the rubrics at the beginning, and that's a big difference in PBL versus just doing a project at the end of a unit. Um, So I think, like, some of the things that you might still use, if you had a quiz on perimeter um, that you were using in your classroom and that goes with your project, you can still use that as a benchmark throughout the project. Um, Or if you've already had kind of some sort of summative assessment on biomes, you can still use that within your project as well. So you you kind of mentioned uh, using quizzes and and tests and stuff like that as benchmarks in your project. Is that something that you do pretty regularly? Uh, And for those of, uh, for our listeners who don't really know what what a benchmark might be, could you talk a little bit about where that might fit in the project and, and why a quiz might be appropriate as a benchmark? Absolutely. Um, so again, that's something that took me a few years to learn. Um, the benchmarks are kind of just checks, checking for understanding as they go throughout the project. 
Um, so if you go over something in a workshop um, and you want to check for understanding, you can use a benchmark um, to check for understanding. So that could be a quiz. Um, it could be a piece of the project. Um, so if part of their project they have a persuasive piece, um, you might have benchmarks checking their individual persuasive piece along the way. So benchmarks are just kind of checks for understanding as you go throughout the project. Um, and in the beginning, I didn't have those benchmarks in place, so I would just kind of be checking, you know, going around the room, checking how students were doing, and then we'd get to the end of the project, and they weren't really prepared for the final presentation. And I found that using benchmarks throughout um, really helped to make sure that the students were prepared. It helped me understand if I needed to add extra workshops um, or scaffolding in for the students if they weren't getting something. That's so great. I, I would I would echo a lot of that. I think one of the biggest things I learned as I, I kind of dove into PBL and assessment was that I want to get to the presentation and I want to know my kids are going to rock that presentation. And if I don't have benchmarks in there along the way that can convince me that they're going to do really well in the presentation, then I didn't have the right benchmarks. So I think it's really a great piece of advice to, to utilize benchmarks and give yourself a, a chance to check students on their understanding and, and how well they're going to perform on maybe the ultimate you know final product or whatever that may be. So um, I think that was a challenge that I had to learn. What would you say maybe some of your bigger challenges were when it came to learning how to grade in PBL? What was the thing that maybe um, caused you the most hang-up, and, and how did you kind of come to a realization on, on a solution to that? Um, I, th- I think, again, it was kind of that grading the end product. Um, so I, in the beginning, I made really elaborate rubrics for the final product, and then um, I would get to the end and grade the final product and realize that the grade didn't really re- reflect their understanding. Um, and it also maybe put too much emphasis on the group grade, and that would, that would affect students' individual grades, which, again, would make individual students upset and kind of brought the parents in, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Um, so I think that was kind of my biggest challenge is I had very elaborate rubrics, and I didn't have those benchmarks in place along the way. So when I got to the end to grade the project, um, I didn't feel like the grade reflected their learning. I guess, again, some of the ways that I overcame that challenge was making sure that those benchmarks were there along the way. And I um, ultimately ended up kind of breaking up my rubric so that instead of grading everything on the end product, um, I could grade pieces of the project as they went along. And that helped me to be able to scaffold for those students um, and ensure that they were more successful at the end because I could check for their understanding along the way um, and, and help them improve as they went along as opposed to just leaving it all to the end and kind of saying, well, you didn't do all these things on this rubric, and why didn't you understand that? So I think just understanding that I could break the rubric up um, and make it more simple um, and check for understanding along the way was really huge. So you mentioned um, uh, when we first started talking about students having the rubric at the very beginning of the project and that being kind of um, part of how they understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, how important is it for the students to have that full rubric, or you know, would you just give it to them one piece at a time if you're breaking it up? Um, how do you use the rubric throughout the whole project? Um, I found it really helpful to give them that rubric at the beginning because that way they were able to ask me questions throughout. So if they saw something in the rubric that they didn't understand, um, they knew that they needed to ask me about that or they needed to ask for a workshop on that. Um, but I also 
thought that if I just gave my students that rubric that it would understand everything that they needed to ask for. And I realized that my students weren't used to seeing the rubrics other than just it, it was given to them at the end of a project with a grade on it. They never really um, looked at the rubric to understand why they got certain grades. So um, we did a rubric scavenger hunt and we would go through and kind of look at knows and need to knows within the rubric so that they could ask me questions and come up with a knows and need to know from that. Um, I also had my students glue a copy of the rubric into their science notebooks so they could go back and refer to it throughout the project if they had questions or um, they were wondering what pieces need to be in their project. My students would, you know, as many students would, they would lose their rubrics or things like that. So I had them glue it into their rubric so they could refer back to it throughout the project. Um, and that was really helpful for me in teaching them to be accountable um, and be able to find the answers to their own questions as they were working on their projects. So what advice would you give for teachers making that transition into PBL? They're starting to use rubrics. You kind of talked about a few things you would do, um, but maybe in general, advice for, for teachers that are new to PBL um, and new to this process of, of assessment and rubrics and things like that. Um, I think the, the rubric scavenger hunt was really helpful for my students. Um, again, if your students are new to PBL, they're, a lot of them are not used to understanding rubrics, so I found that that was really helpful. Um, but it also helped me if I had to go through and make a rubric scavenger hunt. It made me look at my rubric and the wording, um, and that was helpful. I also like how um, I've seen younger teachers will kind of build the rubric with their students, and it might not be on the project itself, but um, they might talk about uh, how to make the best chocolate chip cookie and have the students understanding why they needed you know, certain pieces of the rubric in place to understand what would make the best chocolate chip cookie. And I found that really helpful. Um, we had done a lot of writing rubrics as well just through our school system. So our students were starting to get a little bit better about understanding rubrics. Um, but I think kind of building that rubric and taking the time to go over it and make sure that the students understood that that was going to help them with their project as opposed to here's this piece of paper at the end that just has your grade on it. So I think that was really helpful. Awesome. Thanks for that. I, I think uh, I really like the scavenger hunt uh, idea, you know, with students being able to interact with the, the rubric is, is really critical because otherwise it's just another piece of paper or another set of standards or whatever it may be that if they don't look at it, it's, it's not really a useful tool. So I really like that. Uh, earlier you did, you kind of touched on this this concept and I think you, you hit it right on the head that one of the bigger concerns, especially of parents and, and sometimes our more high achieving students is that the group grades for projects um, can influ impact their, their overall final grade, um, sometimes in a negative manner. You know, parents and students want to know that their kid um, earns the grade that they get, and it's not really influenced one way or the other by other students that um, were in their group, whether their work ethic wasn't as, as hard as it needed to be, or, or maybe they're riding on the coattails of someone and they're earning a, a, a credit for a class that maybe they didn't necessarily... Um, actually earn. So how do you how do you deal with the whole group grade versus individual grade dynamic and how how do you address that with students and maybe even with parents when you've had to do that? Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely a big challenge for me. Um, again, I in the beginning made really elaborate rubrics and then I would get this group grade and think, you know, this doesn't really reflect their understanding or this individual's understanding of the content and I'm going to put this grade whether it's a really great grade or a really poor grade in the grade book and it's not really reflecting their understanding. Um, so there's a few ways that I dealt with that. Um, one was to kind of make sections in my grade book 
um, to help me put the different parts of the project together. So maybe 85% of my grade book um, would be on content, and then um, I would have maybe 5% on work ethic, 5% on collaboration, and 5% on presentation skills. So if I had a section of my rubric that was on how how well they presented, um, that portion would go into that 5% of my of my grade book so that it wouldn't have a huge impact on their overall grade um, so that I could ensure that I was really focusing on how well they understood the content. Um, the same thing with the work ethic. A lot of times, um, you know, if you have a student in a group that's not really putting in the work ethic or the collaboration, um, that's not going to kill the rest of the group's grade. Um, and that's just a small part of the grade book. So that really helped me to compartmentalize that. Um, and that helped parents to understand the grades as well and see that, okay, they, they maybe didn't do so great on collaboration or presentation, but that really didn't affect their grade, their overall grade that much. Um, so that really helped for parent understanding. Um, I also had individual rubrics and group rubrics, and a lot of times the individual rubrics would kind of be, again, those benchmarks throughout the way. So if the entire group had to have um, some sort of persuasive writing piece in their, their end product, um, the individuals of the group would have been graded on their individual persuasive writing as a benchmark earlier on, and that would have been um, a larger chunk of the grade. So when you went to the final group group product, it didn't outweigh the individual's persuasive writing portion, if that makes sense. Um, so that was really helpful as well. So showing that this group grade was really just kind of the small, smaller part at the end with the final product, but along the way, individuals um, completed individual parts of the project and were graded on that, so that outweighed um, the overall group grade at the end. So you would say you kind of work to balance the, the number of grades that, that are individual versus group, and uh, what would you say, like, your percentage of, uh, of assignments or tasks is? Is it, you know, 50-50 group and individual, or is it some other um, kind of percentage? Um, the, the overall group grade was, you know, kind of that end, end rubric at the end, um, and then probably would have, you know, five to ten individual grades along the way that were kind of benchmarks. Um, so those were the individual aspects. And then usually at the end, there was some overall individual and group grade as far as collaboration and work ethic and that type of thing. So that was, um, in the end, the end grade, it was probably 50-50 as far as, you know, 50% of the collaboration was individual and 50% was um, group to put in that part. Gotcha. I think that's that's really helpful advice for our, especially for our teachers who are maybe new to PBL and you know, trying to figure out that balance of assessment and uh, how do I make sure it, you know, the assessments that I'm giving do reflect my students' understanding of, of what I'm trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before we kind of work to wrap this up, is there anything else that maybe we didn't get a chance to, to chat about that you think uh, either new or a veteran PBL facilitator should probably know about assessment in PBL and, and how... Um, how it works and, and what things you might be considering as, as you um, continue in your school year? Um, I think some of the main things is just remember that you don't have to reinvent the wheel for everything. So assessments that you've used in past units um, or quizzes or pieces of projects that you've used before, you can still use those to assess your students' understanding as you go along. Um, you don't have to remake all of that. So they're still useful within your project. It might just be that the order will be a little bit different. 
um, or that the students are asking for that understanding. So I think that's important. Um, I also realized, again, I made really elaborate rubrics in the beginning, and then I found Rubistar. So that was really helpful, um, just as far as uh, finding the terminology and um, kind of the categories for my rubrics. So that was really helpful, especially if I was making multiple rubrics for the project. So if I was making one for the persuasive part of the persuasive written part, um, you know, I'd make multiple rubrics for a project. So Rubistar really helped me with that as a busy teacher. So um, that's something I tell a lot of people to, to take a look at. Yeah, and for our listeners who aren't aware, Rubistar is a, is really a rubric creation tool that helps you to create and, and develop rubrics that uh, you can access digitally or you can print out as well. Awesome. Well, Megan Marie, thank you again for, for joining us and talking assessment with us today. Thank you for having me. Wow, what a great conversation. I'm really glad we were able to kickstart this mini-series with Megan Marie. So, Josh, I know you love assessment. What were your biggest takeaways from our conversation? Whew, where to start? I do love talking about assessment. Uh, One thing that really resonates with me, and I think it's critical for our listeners to hear again, is that you do not have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to creating assessments in PBL. There are a lot of great assessment resources that teachers have built over the course of their careers. In PBL, there's often that feeling that you have to start from scratch, and that just isn't the case. The assessment tools you've developed can be used as a launch point for your assessment toolkit in PBL. You can add them to a series of new assessments and benchmarks that you develop for your specific projects. Assessments should be meaningful, um, and it should reflect what students know about the standards in your course. There are great measures of this understanding that come along with the curriculum you've already used. Use those assessments. Tweak them to fit your needs. That's what good teachers do all the time. That doesn't change in PBL. What changes is how and when you might use those assessments. That is so, so important. Another thing I really loved was the idea of that rubric scavenger hunt. If students don't know how they will be assessed and what we're looking for when assessing them, then a rubric isn't really a great tool. It only becomes effective if students can use it to help guide their learning and problem solving and project development. I totally agree. Get that rubric out to the kids early on in the project. Speaking of rubrics, writing them can be tough. It takes a lot of wordsmithing to get everything right, but the time spent is definitely valuable. A good rubric should help guide student learning and make your job and assessment fairly straightforward. You can check out the PBL resources page on the Magnify Learning website to help you get started. That link to the page will be in our show notes. All right, well, I know we've only just scratched the surface of assessment, but I hope this episode got you thinking about what assessment really should look like in PBL. In our upcoming episodes, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the assessment of 21st century leadership skills, and we'll even dig into standards-based grading and how that assessment practice might align with PBL. All right, team, we're leaving you with a challenge. Share your best PBL rubric with us on Twitter at MagnifyLearning or email it to us at pblplaybook at magnifylearningin.org. We'll give a shout out to our favorite responses in our next episode. Ready, break! Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook, where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at MagnifyLearning. Or you can email the PBL Playbook at MagnifyLearningN.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL Playbook with other educators.